This is uh, our lesson called the New Testament Church Authority to Discipline. Now, just as a quick, quick review, remember that church governments and administrations includes the organization of a church or an entity, and then uh, administrations is the power or the actual implementation and application of your organization. With your administrations, you have authority to keep things in check. Governments refers to the organization. Uh, administrations refers to the application. With a government or governments or polity or governance, they all kind of mean the same thing, comes all the authority to enforce your organization. By organization, we mean the organi organizational skill, not skills, but the organizational structure. The authority to administrate is the authority to keep the government in its form. We have the authority, the police have the authority to put down rioting. You have the right to protest, you have the right to assemble, you do not have the right to turn over trash cans and set them on fire. And so the police and the National Guard, they have the authority to enforce and keep the proper form of the government body, if you understand that. It would be like your body is organized, the head is, the, 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 is in charge of the government of your body, and when your hand wants to turn out of the way, your mind uses the authority to get back in line. That's administrations. So when we're talking about authority to correct and authority to discipline, what we're saying is we're using the authority given in the governments to keep things in line. Without authority to discipline or correct and, and to instruct, things will go any way they want to. And in that regard, authority is kind of like a trellis that keeps roses growing where they ought to and keeps vines growing where they ought to. Without that, things will just grow any old way they want to. That becomes anarchy. That becomes the hippie culture. That becomes the counterculture. We don't have that in the kingdom. At least we shouldn't. So this is the New Church Authority to Discipline. Our previous lesson was the New Testament Church Authority to Correct. And there's a difference. So we have a warning here. This lesson is controversial, offensive, and hurtful but only to the immature Christian that refuses to run the race that is set before them. When you start talking about discipline in our day and age, in this post-hippie culture, everybody wants to do their own thing. And I always like to quote the Satanic Bible here. The Satanic Bible has only one commandment, do what you will. The kingdom of God does not run that way. The kingdom of God says, do what God wills. But Satan knows if he can get us to do what we want, and who are you to judge me, and who are you to discipline me, then the kingdom will fall apart. So let's look at here our curriculum. Discipline is different from correction. Discipline is what comes after correction is ignored. We talked about in our previous lesson that the kind of the, the hierarchy, the progression is correction, admonishment, then rebuke. Correction is just saying, don't put that here, put that there. Admonishment is, hey, listen, I told you, you need to put that over there. Rebuke is, if I have to tell you one more time, there will be discipline. And so we want to keep everything just on the correction level. We're all open for correction. Hey, can I do this better? How would you like it done better? And then we do it. But if we forget, then we kind of get a little bit stronger correction, which is called an admonishment. An admonishment has a feeling of a flavor of warning. I tell you. If you fail to heed the admonishment, then you get rebuked. And the rebuke is a lot harsher. It's a lot more painful to the ego and to the little emotions. Sometimes it can be a lot more embarrassing. We want to have the humble heart that rejoices at the correction. I honestly pray for rebuke. I don't get it much anymore. 
But we need to understand that if we're being rebuked, it's because there's pride and stubbornness in our life. To the humble and the quick to repent, they'll never really see a rebuke. Rebuke is for the stubborn mule that must have a rod on its back. Discipline is what comes after correction is ignored. One of the responsibilities of authority is to keep order and to enact judgment and discipline when necessary. So let's listen to that again. One of the responsibilities of authority, that's what we're dealing with in church governments, one of the responsibilities is to keep order and to enact judgment and discipline when necessary. In every venue of life, authority figures wield the right to rebuke, correct, discipline, and even punish. The world's authorities are authorized to do more than just correct. They can also punish. We're, we're kind of showing you there's a difference between correction and discipline. The world's authorities can punish. Employers can fire. That's the ultimate punishment. Teachers can eject from class. That's the ultimate punishment in your classroom. Principals can suspend from school. That's the ultimate punishment. Police arrest. That's the ultimate punishment. The military dishonorably discharge. That's a severe punishment. And then, of course, we know we have what is called corporal punishment, and that is the death sentence. You can so misbehave, you, you resist correction at home, so where the police have to deal with you, and you can be so bad with the police that they have to give you the death sentence and actually execute you. I am thankful that our country still executes criminals. There's all sorts of liberal, progressive thinking about it, but Jesus Christ is for the death penalty. Don't forget He was executed. He hanged on a cross, and He was never upset about it. In fact, he submitted to the death of the cross. So, the military dishonorably discharges and will even court-martial and hang you. You can be hanged in a military tribunal. After World War II, we hanged a whole bunch of Japanese military officials. We called them war criminals. We hanged Tojo, Admiral Tojo. Uh, he was the great admiral of the fleet that we fought in the Pacific so much. We captured him and we hanged him till his feet quit kicking. Actually, they hang him so their neck breaks the second they hit. I saw a video of Saddam Hussein being hanged. We hanged him. Somebody snuck it on a cell phone. It got on the web. I watched that thing. I said, yeah, that's what you do to somebody like that. You hang them. That's ultimate discipline. Anyone in any kind of authority will have been given some level of authorization to correct, discipline, and punish. It should then come as no surprise that we should also find this authority to discipline in the local church. The local church is the household of God, the army of the living God, the school of faith, and the vineyard of God. So if everything else in life that has been given authority from God, the police, the military, schools, judges, if they have authorization to discipline, we ought to find that in the local church. And remember, we want to just keep it at the correcting level. Show me how to teach better. Show me how to usher better. Show me how to behave better. Just correct me. Don't have to, I don't want you to have to admonish me. I don't want you to have to rebuke me. And I certainly don't want you to have to discipline me. So we see a progression here. And it always has to come back to the heart. When you're stubborn, a correction won't work. You have to be admonished. You're a little bit more stubborn than that. You can't just be admonished. You have to be rebuked. You're so stubborn that you don't just get rebuked. Now you have to be disciplined or punished. Honestly, probably the worst case is when you're so stubborn, God just leaves you alone altogether. In fact, even Proverbs says you can't rebuke a fool. I, I want to keep my heart so that at the very least I can be rebuked. Really, I, want, I personally want to get to my heart where all I need is just a little bit of correcting. 
I, whenever Dr. Barclay comes or we go to his conferences, I pray that I get rebuked. It's been a long time since I've been rebuked. It's been about three years since anybody in my life has rebuked me, leadership-wise. And I guess that's a good thing, but I like a good rebuke. I, I want it to test my mettle. I want to see, am I still humble enough to receive it? But I haven't gotten one in a while. And it may just be because I can receive admonishments and corrections from the Word, from the Spirit of God. The last time Dr. Barclay was here, the hardest thing he gave me was, why don't you stand in the back of your church service from time to time and just see what everybody else sees? That'll help your church a lot. And so I do that. Sunday nights, I'll go stand in the back and just see how everything goes, see how offering goes, see how the guys do, see how the overheads look, because that's what he told me to do. That's a correction. And I don't want him to ever have to come back and say, I told you, son, and admonish me. And I certainly don't want him to have to ever rebuke me, but I do like a good rebuke. So this whole lesson is about discipline. This is what happens when you resist correction, you resist admonishment, you resist a harsh rebuke. Now we're going to see the discipline that enacts or be, is enacted in your life when you're stubborn. We know with children, you correct them, you teach them, you correct them, you teach them, then you warn them, then you maybe yell at them, and then it's discipline time. And we don't want to have to spank our children. We don't want to have to ground them and enact discipline, but sometimes you need to. God is no different. Same on your job. You might get demerits, and then you get sent home, then you might get fired. In the military, it's the same way. In the school, you get sent to the principal's office so many times and they just suspend you. Everything is modeled after the kingdom of God and there's this progression, there's this ramping up. We're just looking at, though we never want to have to do any of this, we're just looking at what the Bible says because most Christians nowadays, they get upset if the pastor has a strong voice of authority and he exercises his proper authority. I'll be judged if I don't. And that's why we have so many weak churches. I call them donut churches. So let's look at kingdom consequences here. Many Christians ignorantly believe they can live or act any way they want to within the confines of the local church ministry and not face any confrontation. This is totally unscriptural. According to the Bible, there are consequences for living a dirty Christian life. Aside from a public rebuke, the Bible prescribes in some scenarios excommunication. Gulp. Shocking. It shouldn't be. After all, even a bar will kick you out if you get too sinful. Even a bar will kick you out if you get too sinful. Think about that. Bars have bouncers. You're going there to sin, but even a bar has a limit. A bar has a bar. <laughs> and you surpass the bar's bar, the bouncer will bar you from the bar. How heathenistic do you have to be to be kicked out of a bar? And we don't have a problem with that, or at least the heathen don't. But we have a problem if a church kicks you out. So let's look at some things here. New Testament discipline. Throughout the New Testament, we find discipline being enacted in only three different ways. So they're only, from what I can find, I might come back and amid this and add a fourth, I can only find three forms of New Testament discipline. Number one, resistance. This, we see this a lot. Number two, excommunication. And the third and ultimate, death. Let's deal with these in increasing order. Number one, resistance. The first level of discipline enacted upon a Christian who refuses to heed correction and rebuke is resistance. God will use resistance and frustration to discipline a stubborn saint. To the spiritually sensitive Christian, this is most miserable and effective. I hate being resisted. 
I hate to know I'm out of the will of God. I hate to know something's out of sorts and I've got to go get it right. I've got to repent. I've got to fix something. I've got to apologize. I can't handle it. That's a good place. At least you're, I think that's a comfort zone. You know you're being resisted. Look at 1 Peter 5, 5, C. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When God's resisting you, it's because you're prideful. A prideful person will not receive correction. A prideful person will not receive admonishment. A prideful person will not receive rebuke. Therefore, they get resisted. And really, it's the mercy of God that keeps rebuking you or correcting you or admonishing you. But ultimately, if you won't receive any of that, God will just stiff arm you. And you'll go no further. Even Job 38 says, Here have you come, but no further. Here will your proud waves be stayed or stopped. If God is resisting you, you will know it. Your life will be difficult and miserable. Anybody been there? <laughs> All of us. <laughs> Hopefully not this week. Your life will be difficult and miserable. The Spirit of God that is resisting you might at times also bear witness with church leadership to also resist you and in effect not use you in the ministry. Now I've done that many times as a pastor. I want to promote somebody or use somebody, but because of something in the Spirit, I can't. I've even sat people down. And I have said, I'm sorry I can't use you. Your attitude's this, or this is not going to work, or you're just not doing it. And that is a form of discipline. I have had to do that because they have not listened to correction. They've not listened to admonishment. They've not even listened to a stern rebuke. They maybe heard it, but they didn't act on it. And ultimately, anybody in leadership has got to stop drinking the damage. If Miss Kate is damaging what I do as a business owner, I'm either going to fire her or demote her. But I can't, as a good steward, put someone in authority that's costing me money as a business leader or costing me church members as a pastor or costing me unity and peace as a department head. So the first thing we see is a resistance. And one of the ways resistance looks like in a local church is we just resist you and sit you down. It's a demotion. We have demoted folks in this church since I've been pastor. Look at Acts 15, 38 on our next page. This is dealing with John, Mark, Barnabas, and Paul going out on a second missionary expedition. And John, Mark, Barnabas wanted to take John, Mark again. But Paul thought it not good to take him, John, Mark, with him. John Mark departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. In this story, John Mark, basically they get to the first island and John Mark quit. He made it on one sea voyage, got to the island of Pamphylia and he quit and he went back home. We know from church history and from the book of Acts, John Mark was a rich kid. His mama was wealthy and he was a mama's boy. And probably more than likely, and we know from the book of Acts, he went as a servant and he probably wasn't used to that. Being a mama's boy and a rich kid, he was used to having servants. And now he's fetching water for, John, uh, for Barnabas. He's maybe doing Paul's laundry. And he probably didn't like that too much. Maybe he got seasick. Maybe Pamphylia was a little bit rougher than living in Jerusalem. We know he lived in Jerusalem. And so he was just kind of soft and sissy. And he abandoned the missionary trip. And so now after Barnabas and Paul have come back, they're ready to take another expedition. And Barnabas, who happened to be John Mark's uncle wants to give him a second shot and, Bar and Paul said, uh-uh, that kid can't be trusted. Here, Paul refused to use John Mark because of his lack of faithfulness to the ministry. In fact, John Mark had abandoned Paul and Barnabas on their first trip. This would have been an act of church discipline. Not being used by your pastor or by your boss 
or by a missionary not being used, that's an act of discipline. That's a resistance. Of an encouraging note, John Mark was able to redeem himself in 2 Timothy 4. At the end of Paul's life, Paul says, he's of use to me. That's 25 years later. Maybe it took John Mark 25 years to redeem himself. Maybe Paul was still kind of smarting from being abandoned 25 years earlier. But at the end of Paul's life, he tells Timothy, go fetch John Mark. He's of use to me now. I don't want to have to take 25 years to redeem myself. I don't want to be resisted in the first place. Look at 1 Timothy 1.12. Paul said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. When God resists you, you are no longer enabled by God. You are disabled. You see that he said, I'm enabled, for he counted me, ministry, he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. We see with Paul that his faithfulness earned him a promotion. We could also work that doctrine in reverse. When you're unfaithful, you will be demoted from ministry. That's resistance. That is the first step of church discipline. You will be resisted, and ultimately that looks like demotion. Paul was promoted to ministry after he was found faithful. It stands to reason he could have been demoted if he was ever found unfaithful. Demotion is a form of discipline and spiritual resistance. We don't ever want to be demoted in the things of God. We want to always see promotion and promotion and promotion. We want the Lord to give us more land, more responsibility, more authority. But to stay in the place that you've been elevated to, you have to be able to receive correction and admonishment and avoid rebuke there. If a leader in any capacity of your life has to rebuke you more than two or three times, he's probably or she is probably going to start considering a demotion for you. We understand this on the job. We understand this in any kind of club. We understand this on a football team. Even on the NFL, they will trade problem players because they're not worth it. Ginger and I watched last year as one of our favorite players on the Preds, Jordan Tutu, seemed to fall out of favor with the owners and the management, and he started playing less and less. This was Jordan Tutu, the most famous uh, predator we ever had. And at the end of the year, you know what happened? We traded him. And he plays for the Wings now for a measly $2 million. There's not much money, not for what Jordan Tutu is. Something happened. Probably a little bit of attitude in the locker room. It works even in the professional sports realm. So let's look at our second stepping up into, ex, uh, into discipline, and that is the gasping, gulping excommunication. I have not stood publicly and excommunicated anybody, but I have purposely run people off this church. And I have rejoiced when I did it. And I knew what I was doing, and I took aim at them. I would rather preach them out than have to publicly stand them up and run them off. I'd rather them leave hating me only rather than hating the whole church. But typically they go hating the whole church anyway because it's just how it works. Stepping up a level in spiritual discipline, we find actual excommunication. This is not just a Catholic thing. This is a New Testament thing. This is a very, very biblical form of discipline. Should demotion and resistance fail to humble and train the guilty party, it may be necessary to actually put them out of the church in order to prevent the leaven of rebellion from spreading. If they won't submit to correction, if they won't submit to discipline, if they won't submit to rebuke, if they won't submit uh, to resistance and demotion, the only thing you have left is excommunication. We do all those things to make us better. 
The boss corrects you to make you a better employee. The police rebukes you to make you a better citizen. The pastor rebukes you to make you a better Christian. I get rebuked, so I'm made a better pastor. My wife might even correct me to help me be a better husband. And I'll correct her to make her a better wife. If you don't want to be better, we have nothing in common. Therefore, you should just leave. That's what excommunication says. You're not in line with the vision. You're not in line with the, the heart. You're not in line with what we want. So why are you here? We must now excommunicate you. If, if they won't submit, it may be necessary to put them out in order to prevent the leaven of rebellion from spreading. So there are six New Testament reasons to excommunicate. I taught this about two years ago. I think we tackled two a service, and it was kind of shocking for folks. We're going to cover it again, though. Church leaders have a right and are actually commanded. It's a commandment to excommunicate stubbornly sinful Christians for the following six reasons. So number one. The number one reason to excommunicate, and this is kind of the higher end of church discipline, unwilling to repent of an open sin or a trespass. Matthew 18 teaches us this, uh, and, and it goes, I think, verses 14, 15, 16. We jump into verse 17 here. If he shall neglect to hear you, tell it unto the church. Now, the progression of this is, if a brother sin against you, go to him in private. If he hear you, you have gained the brother back. If he will not hear you, take him before the elders. If, they, if you hear him, hey, you've gained a brother. If they won't hear the elders, bring it before the whole church. So it is very biblical should you get to the place we could literally air your laundry in front of the whole church. This is Jesus Christ teaching this. This is not Paul. This is Matthew 18. This is red letters. Jesus Christ taught this. If Miss Kate sins against uh, Miss Carrie, Miss Carrie's commanded to go to Miss Kate in private and resolve it. Miss Kate has a humble heart. Hey, it stays there. But if it's so bad and Miss Kate won't repent, Carrie is to bring it to the church elders. And we're to discuss it. And we're to go with, to Kate and say, Miss Kate, Miss Carrie says you're, you're gossiping against her on Facebook and you won't repent. And she says, oh, oh, I see now. Oh, forgive me. Hey, we stop right there. But should Miss Kate not hear the elders and the, the church elders and the pastor, then we biblically have a right me as a pastor, the ultimate elder, the chief elder, to stand up and say, Church, I want you to know we have an issue of strife and sedition and heresy. Miss Kate is gossiping against Miss Carrie. How many of you have read it on Facebook? Ten hands go up. And I might say, I notice that a lot of you rebuke Miss Kate on Facebook, and I appreciate you doing that. You are within your biblical rights. But Miss Kate refuses to repent. And gossip is extremely sinful, and it's sowing discord among the brethren. Therefore, according to first, uh, Rome. Matthew 8, 17, If he shall neglect to hear thee, tell it unto the church. But if he or she neglect to hear the church, let them be as unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. We are to now treat Miss Kate as a pagan and a total sinner who has sold the church out. That's pretty extreme to America, but Jesus Christ taught it like it was nothing. <laughs> That'll keep a church clean. Real clean. The shame of it is it has to get that extreme to t break the tough nut that is Miss Kate's heart. If she had a soft heart in the first place, she would have never gossiped against Miss Carrie on Facebook. She would be praying for her. But unfortunately, we'll see in some of these other verses, you get to a place where people's hearts are so calloused, we must do these things to shame them because their heart knows no shame. 
That's what we're dealing with here is the heart. I would be upset if I had to be corrected. I would be upset if the correction went to an admonishment. I'd be petrified if I had to be rebuked. Why did it get that hard, Lord? Why was I that stubborn? So in the end, we want to get uh, soft and soften that hard heart so that we just want to serve God. We just absolutely want to serve God. I was dealing with an issue recently, and someone in this church absolutely fumbled the ball on me. And I was talking to them, and I wanted to rebuke them so bad. But they were so humble. Pastor, I'm so sorry. I knew what your heart was, and I just didn't do it. I've got to get better at this. Forgive me, Pastor. And I told my wife, and she wanted to be mad. I said, honey, I can't re rebuke the, per the person. They're so humble. I, feel I want to encourage them. I'm really mad right now, but they know they did is, what they did is wrong. They know it was stupid. I really want to rebuke them, but I can't. i got to breathe life back into them. And so they got no rebuke. They already knew what they did was wrong. They didn't even get a correction. I didn't even have to correct them because they knew what the correct thing what to do was. They were too busy trying to repent. And so with that, they avoided correction. They avoided discipline. All they got was, let's just do better next time. That's all I could give them because you answer their heart. Number two, sowing discord. Romans 6, 7, 16, 7 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. That means to shun or eschew. Paul taught that to the Roman church. He said, mark them. That means we can biblically put a mark on you. Mark them that cause division. That's sowing discord. And offenses. The word uh, offense means scandalon, Like a scandal. Those that are causing a scandal in the church, mark them and, and avoid them, shun them, put them out, cast them off. That's what you've got to do. That's biblical. Titus 3.10 says, A man that is a heretic, which is the Greek word schismatic or schism causing, after the first and second admonition, rebuke, reject, shun, and avoid. Now, we have come to understand that a heretic is someone who pre preaches heresy. That's only partially true. A heretic is someone that causes schism in the church. Now, more specifically, a heretic in, biblical, in Paul's day was one that taught contrary doctrine and in doing so split the church. We could have it be a, a decent doctrine, somebody come in here and overly emphasize water baptism. I don't have a problem with that, but if we're not selling apples, don't come in here and preach apples. You'll be a heretic. You'll be splitting my church. Or now we're seeing among spirit-filled churches that tongues aren't for today. You come into my church and start trying to preach that, I'll put you out. And that's not even a heretical, blasphemous doctrine like some of the new doctrines are. Uh, you might want to come in and start teaching that we need to only talk about Jesus. I'm going to put you out. Maybe there's a balance to that. But you're coming in, splitting up our church. And Titus, Paul told Titus, you rebuke them once, you rebuke them twice, and then you kick them out. That's excommunication. Number three, disobedient to doctrine. 2 Thessalonians 3.14, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no, not, uh, no company with him, that he may be ashamed. If I'm teaching evangelism and somebody over here is saying we don't have to evangelize. That almost comes back to heresy or being a heretic. You mark that person. That person is sowing discord. We teach this in our HELPS curriculum that if you can't get along with the vision, you need to go someplace else. If God's called you, He's called you to come along with our vision. And if you're not with our vision, you're causing division, we have to somehow get you out. If we can't fix your vision, 
we got to get you out and help you find a better vision. Uh, the next one is, is from First uh, Timothy. He says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof come envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. So there, that's somebody you're withdrawing from. Somebody comes into our church and they don't submit and they teach contrary. They don't submit to wholesome words. We're to withdraw ourselves. Uh, this will have you turn off TBN right here because they teach that gain is godliness. Even the Baptists have been able to spot that heresy among our ranks. Oh, look at how blessed I am, God. And that's the biggest uh, hang up with the prosperity teaching that God's endorsement of your life is your wealth. That's stupid. Many of the prophets were very, very needy in a sense. Now David wasn't, Solomon wasn't, but many of your prophets, even John the Baptist, came eating locusts, which is a bean, and honey. And that's it. And he was clothed in animal skins. We've got to be mindful of false teaching and withdraw ourselves. We have. We've withdrawn ourselves from Christian television. I teach against it. Point four, we've got to run through these quickly. Apostasy, that is teaching heretical doctrine. That's very blatant and obvious. Paul said, Of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may, not, uh, may learn not to blaspheme. I call that the school of Satan. Apparently some folks have to go to that school to learn not to be blasphemous. I don't want somebody with great authority turning me over like that. 2 Timothy 2, 17-18, And the word will eat like a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. That is why he turned them over to Satan. They were teaching that the rapture had already happened. And Paul said they're overthrowing the faith of some. Therefore, Paul had no more fellowship with them. He cut them out of his life. And not only that, he then was led by the Holy Spirit to pray and deliver them to Satan. So they'd learn not to blaspheme. Now, if something's wrong in you when Jesus Christ can't teach you not to blaspheme. You must go through hell at the hands of Lucifer himself to learn you got to be really stupid stubborn to be turned over to Satan or just determined to teach them blasphemy. Titus 3.10, we quote this again, A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. We're talking about reasons to excommunicate. We want to know these so we never get anywhere near them. Gross immorality, uh, 1 Corinthians 5.3, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed, sex with his stepmom, might be taken away from among you. Paul started off, he said, It is reported commonly among you, and I believe it, that there is one that has had sex with his father's wife. And he goes on to say, And you are puffed up. How do you get puffed up about that? Well, that ain't me. That ain't me. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. That ain't me. And you have not rather mourned. Gross sin in our ranks ought to cause us to mourn. That he that has done this deed might be taken away from you. When you take somebody away from a church, that's excommunication. So another reason we can put you out. One of the reasons I ran a person out of this church, well, actually they fulfilled about half of these, was because of gross immorality. They refused to repent of adultery. And so we just preached them out. I didn't ever, I'm thankful they left and I didn't ever have to get to a place where I stood them up in front of everybody and, and said, you were dismissed. Don't ever come back. Six, this is the shocking one, 
refusal to get a job. I can biblically kick you out when you refuse to get a job. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. The word unruly means you are a no-show at work. You're idle and you refuse to get a job. That's 1 Thessalonians. And Paul said, brethren, warn them. We exhort you. So an exhortation is a strong uh, way of telling you do this. We exhort you to warn them. You can kind of hear Paul and the Holy Ghost is a little put out with these lazy Christians. This preached really good in Uganda. The pa pastor Sinfum, I said, what can I help you with? He said, we have some folks here who do not believe they should get a job. They want to come to church and intercede all day. And I said, I can fix this for you. And I taught that for three services in a row on Sunday morning. And this is one of the verses I used. That you refuse to get a job, we can put you out of the church. They, they didn't want to get a job. They needed the money. The family needed money. They, they prided that we're an intercessor. They wanted to come and just intercede in the sanctuary all day long. And the pastor could do nothing about it. And I said, this white man will help you. You see, exhort, which is a strong word, and warn those that refuse to get a job. Look at 2 Thessalonians, written only about a year later. Now we command you, now he's up the ante, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're really upping the ante. That you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. That's the same word as unruly. Disorderly means out of ranks, idle, and no job. 1 Thessalonians was a strong rebuke. 2 Thessalonians comes along and says, All right, withdraw yourself. Kick them out. Who walk disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. After that, Paul goes on to say, When we were with you, we labored and we took nothing from anybody. And that's the example we set that each man should work with his own hands. And so the sixth reason we can kick you out of the church is you refuse to get a job. I tell the story about the two lesbians that were coming here about two or three years ago. I would purposely preach against lesbianism just to see where they're at. Because both of them had children out of their own womb. They were not lesbians. They were just flirting with that stupid devil. What they got mad about and left is when I started preaching, you should get a job and get off welfare. They left this church not because I preached against them being lesbians. They left the church because I preached, get a job. They got mad at that. And they left. And they're still living on welfare as best as I've heard and seen lately. So, that's excommunication. That brings us to the final of the three and the most extreme. The extreme form of church discipline is death. Uh, to summarize it quickly, just in one verse, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. The wages of sin is death. If you won't receive a correction, if you won't receive an admonishment, if you won't receive a rebuke, if you won't receive resistance, and you keep going down that path, you will die. That's a promise. The final and most extreme form of New Testament discipline is death. We might say double gulp. We might say if you refuse to get it right, you get to go home early. If you don't want to help, just go home. Acts 5, 3-5 but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou uh, conceived this thing in thine heart? Notice he conceived it in his heart. 
Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. That means he died. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Not only was this an open rebuke in front of the whole assembly, we covered that in the last lesson, you can rebuke before all. This was an open rebuke in the middle of a service. It was, it was offering time. Can you imagine in our church folks are coming down to give altar and the Spirit of God speaks to me and says, they're lying to the Holy Ghost over that offering. And I stop the whole tithe part of the worship service and I say, excuse me uh, there, Miss Carrie, the Holy Ghost just said you're lying in your heart about this offering. Is this so? Of course, he didn't even ask him for input. He just said, you're full of the devil. He didn't even curse him. He just dropped dead under that powerful word of knowledge. That, that's New Testament book of Acts. I wish we had services like that more. Of course, it doesn't grow big churches. <laughs> Not when there's a donut church willing to rot your teeth out across town. Not only was this an open rebuke in front of the whole assembly, but it was also an instant rendering of judgment. Ananias and his wife both dropped dead in the church service. They both were buried that day, and there was no funeral service for them. You don't honor the wicked. Look at 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. This is the same story about the man having sex with his stepmom. This was Paul's judgment. We're not supposed to judge. <laughs> Salt in Acts 5. Paul said, I have being absent in body, but present in spirit, I have thus judged, is what Paul said in verse 4. To deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This was the man who acted like a Christian in right standing, but was openly having sex with his stepmom. That's what the rest of Corinthians 5 goes on to tell us. When they act like they're right, but they're wrong, have no fellowship with them. It's one thing for a Christian to know they're backslidden and to be ashamed and come and sit on the back row and, and they can't even hardly lift their head up. You don't excommunicate them. You love on them and you encourage them. Come on back, sinner. Come on back, backslider. But this man was acting like nothing was wrong. He was boasting his sin. The whole church knew about it. So much did Paul, the church know about it. Paul got wind of it hundreds of miles away back in the day before Internet. This, man, this was the man uh, who acted like a Christian in right standing but was openly having sex with his stepmom. Paul's judgment on him was death. Paul commanded the whole church of Corinth to deliver this man into the custody of Satan for a death sentence. Now, if there's anything encouraging, it's that the man repented. In, an, in Corinthians 2, Paul had to encourage the church to go back and love on him, lest he be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So the thing worked. When you actually obey the Holy Ghost and deliver people to Satan, it actually has the ability to work. And so we've got to be mindful of that. A lot of folks try to interpret that dif uh, differently, but it just lets me know they've never had to be led by the Holy Ghost to do it. There's been two people in my life the Spirit of God has led me to deliver to Satan. One was back in college, and the other one has been since I was pastor. But only two since 97. Uh, that's 15 years or so. Uh, that's not something we commonly go and do. Uh, and I haven't heard too many preachers preach on it, so it may not be a common thing. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 29 and 30. For he that eateth and drinketh this cup unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. This again is another example of the ultimate form of New Testament church discipline, death. 
if we don't judge the body of Christ rightly and discern it rightly and walk in love towards Shayla or Will or Miss Kate, then Paul goes on to say, for this reason, many of you are weak and sick and many are dead prematurely. We've got to be mindful to keep our hearts right. And as he concludes there in, in thir- verse 30, actually I think it's 31, he said that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So if you judge yourselves, you won't be disciplined. If you judge yourselves, you won't be rebuked. If you judge yourselves, you won't have to be corrected. If you judge yourself, the Holy Spirit will correct you and you can avoid this form of church discipline. First uh, Timothy 1.20 Of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. These two ministers had left the true faith and had become heretics. They, we know from 2 Timothy they were teaching that the resurrection had already passed and they were overthrowing the faith of some. Paul delivered them to the school of Satan that they might learn to not be blasphemous. It may have ended in the same result as the Corinthian fornicator. That may have been the intention. Uh, there's, those are the only two instances in the New Testament where someone was delivered to Satan. The, the Corinthian fornicator and these two heretics. But I've got to assume, and it's just my speculation, if one was delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, I've got to assume Hymenius and Alexander were likewise delivered. Otherwise, I don't know, what do you do? How does Satan teach you how not to blaspheme? Does he say, tisk tisk, don't do what I want you to do? <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to assume, and it's just my speculation, just my personal opinion, that the end result was intended to be death until they repented. And they realized, whoa, we have gotten so far off course, we're on demon territory now. It may have been the same result or the intended same result as a Corinthian fornicator, but this is only speculation. As we can see from these many verses, there is very much a biblical precedent of discipline for those Christians who refuse to submit to correction and instruction. Be quick to obey the word that you might avoid church discipline. Amen and amen. So to summarize it, if you don't like correction, you'll get admonishment. If you don't like admonishment, you'll get rebuke. If you don't like rebuke and you can't change after a rebuke, then you're going to get discipline. The first step of discipline is resistance. The Holy Ghost will resist you. Leadership will resist you. And you'll be miserable and demoted. If you don't submit to that, then from what we see from the New Testament, we up the ante and we excommunicate you. We cut you off. We withdraw ourselves. No doubt Paul had withdrawn himself from Hymenius, Philetus, and Alexander. If you remember, Paul rebuked Peter to the face. And apparently Peter submitted because they continued to have fellowship. But these guys, he cut them off. And not only did he cut them off, but if excommunication does not shame you, as it's intended to do, we prove from several verses, then the end is going to be death. Death and premature burial. And many Christians will go to heaven prematurely. We don't want that. So that is a summary of New Testament discipline. Discipline is different from correction. Correction tweaks you. But if you don't submit to that, then you must be disciplined. You will only be permitted to do it wrong for so long, and then you must be demoted. And so hopefully we can see that. This is kind of summarizing and tying into our church governments and administrations. Governments have the authority to enforce right and wrong. And this is just further demonstration of New Testament rights to keep things right. Father, bless us. I thank you, Father, for these lessons. I thank you for helping us. Father, I thank you for changing those that have come out 
and helping them, Lord, to understand these things. I pray, Lord, that these lessons will be a blessing to the body of Christ for years to come in the understanding of church governments, church polity, and church administrations. Lord, we thank you for our time here in Jesus' name. Amen.